This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. All views and opinions expressed are the views and opinions of the individuals and sponsors presenting them, and not the LTB network. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. This is Paul Boyer. Welcome to the Mad Money Machine, episode number 13. Yes, lucky episode number 13. Coming up on this show, I will have a small list of demands. I'll also complain about a few things, but I'll also cheer about a few things. Broadcasting from the Bitcoin bunker, six blocks below. Brandishing the blockchain to fight good versus evil. This is Bitcoin versus the man. This is the battle of the century. This is the mad money machine. Thank you so very much for joining me, Bitcoin users from all over the world and listeners on KCAA Radio 1050 AM in beautiful Southern California, where I'm sure it's warmer than it is here. Right now, I'm looking at the thermometer and it says 27 degrees. Is this March or what? What's the difference between Bitcoin and my iPhone? Bitcoin works. Hey everybody, Paul Boyer here, Mad Money Machine, episode 13, lucky 13. <laughs> lucky 13, well not so lucky for my iPhone. Last night I plugged in the lightning cable and it just doesn't charge. The little green battery doesn't turn green, the lightning symbol doesn't appear, there's no charging, there's no syncing. I've tried three different cables. I've tried cables that are known to work on other iPhones around the house. And I went in there with a toothpick to fish out all the lint from that lightning socket and ended up going to make a uh, support call to the Genius Bar this afternoon. Oh, these silly lightning cables. You know, the great thing about lightning cables is no matter which way you put them in, they work. The thing that I hate about them is no matter which way you put them in, they don't work. Just another reason to switch to Android, I guess. Is it too much to ask that the wire that charges my phone not be proprietary? That really irks me that Apple makes a proprietary charging cable. Come on. I mean, uh, wouldn't micro USB be sufficient to charge an iPhone? Really? I just, I just really don't like that. That's just, I have a small list of demands, just a small list of demands. One, I'd like a non-proprietary charging cable. Well, in Bitcoin, I have a small list of demands too. Very small list of demands. Four things. This is all I want about Bitcoin. The first one is, I want a secure, yet quick and easy-to-use Bitcoin system. A lot of people have been trying to make wallets that are easy to use, and they're making improvements. You know, the um, crypto kit for the Chrome browser is nice and simple. Uh, Electrum has got some nice qualities in it. The new Bitcoin client is out, 0.9.0, and the receive payments tab now is different. It, it allows you to um, request payments in there and you can generate a, a, a QR code and you can generate a, a URI that uh, has the Bitcoin colon slash slash um, indicator out front to make it easier for people to send payments. But it's still, it's not quite easy as swiping your credit card through the terminal at the grocery store. And uh, that's where we need to be for Bitcoin. That's the first thing. That's my first list of small demands for Bitcoin. My second small demand is I want everyone to use Bitcoin. I want it to be just like credit cards. I want Bitcoin to be everywhere. I want to be able to go to McDonald's and swipe my Bitcoin card and pay with Bitcoin just as easily as paying with a credit card. I want to be able to send uh, Bitcoin through PayPal, you know, just like eBay. I want to be able to buy things on eBay with Bitcoin just by clicking a button and saying buy, entering my password, and it's bought. 
I just want everyone to use Bitcoin. That's my second small demand. The third thing that I would like to see with Bitcoin, and I think once we accomplish the first two, they kind of build on each other. The kind of steps, you know, if it's easy to use, then everyone can use it. And then once everyone can use Bitcoin, then it enables this third small demand that I have. And that is, I want Bitcoin to take away power from those people who abuse it. I think there's plenty of people in this world who have control of the money systems that are taking advantage of people that don't have control of the money systems. And, you know, the first and obvious one that comes to mind that Bitcoin can replace and make a lot cheaper to use is some of the uh, international wire transfer systems. Western Union, MoneyGram, charge a very high fee to transfer money overseas. I think Bitcoin should take away that power. And you can imagine, I think Bitcoin should take away power from credit card companies in a similar vein. I think Bitcoin should take away power from people who are able to print money uh, on demand and make money from the fact that they print money. You know, there's an article out at The Guardian this past week. Um, the, um, the Bank of England indicated, they, they wrote a report now of how money actually works. And they talk about, you know, it's money is not um, created when somebody makes a deposit in a bank. No, money is created when someone takes a loan from the bank. When someone makes a loan, the bank creates the money and gives them the, mon gives them the money. And so the bank makes interest off of nothing, <laughs> I guess. I think that's a lot of power. And I would like to see Bitcoin take that power away. You know, I'm not the first guy to really hate the abuse of power from the guys in charge of the money. Check this out. Here's a reading from an old text you may be familiar with. It says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught him, he said, it, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Yeah, the guys in charge of the money, they don't like to be threatened. And then the fourth thing that I would like to see is, let's see, the first one, I want a secure yet quick and easy to use Bitcoin system. The second one, I want everyone to use Bitcoin. And by doing that, third, I want Bitcoin to take away power from those who abuse it. And then the fourth one, I want millibits to go to $100 each. I think that'll happen once everybody uses it. Right now, millibit is about 56 cents each. So going to $100 each, that'd be quite a nice gain. That's my small list of demands. Now, I suppose you could replace the word Bitcoin with crypto in each of these demands. And it still kind of works. So, for example, I want a secure, yet quick and easy to use crypto system. Encryption system. I, why isn't email encrypted by default end to end? I mean, I, I wrote, like I mentioned uh, several shows ago, I spent some time in a research and development project at the company I worked for writing a end-to-end um, -end encrypted email system. So in your browser, you generate the public keys. I guess it's sort of similar to what CryptoKit does now, only they don't do it in a browser. But in your browser, you generate your uh, key pair, PGP keys. Uh, you upload the keys to a central server. When you send an email, you type it in, you click encrypt, and then you send it. And why, why can't, why, I, I mean, I understand why they don't do it. It's probably because the governments around the world say, uh, we won't let your email service operate if you allow people to encrypt their emails. But I think by now we should figure out a way to get this done. So that's my first list, list of demands is I want to secure yet quick and easy to use crypto system. 
Then the second list of demands there is I want everyone to use crypto. I mean, just like everyone uses email now, I'd like to see everyone use end-to-end encrypted email. It should be invisible, just like um, just like HTTPS, uh, SSL encryption is, in, is uh, invisible. You know, right now, Google makes the uh, proud statement that they're encrypting all their email. <laughs> well, it's encrypted between your browser and their server, and that's it. Obviously, it's not encrypted to the recipient. Um, you know, it may be encrypted from Google's server to the recipient's browser, but to the recipient, they can see it in clear text. Yeah, yeah I realize that uh, there's difficulty in keeping track of public keys and there's key management problems, but that's why I want this one small demand is I want a secure yet quick and easy to use crypto system. I want everyone to use it. And then I want crypto to take away power from those who abuse it. Can you think of an instance? Is there anything in the news right now about mm, the fact that data is not encrypted and somebody's abusing it? Is there any abuse going on in the fact that data is not encrypted? Uh, I can imagine that there is. And if data was encrypted, it couldn't be abused. And then the first one <laughs> doesn't apply so much. I want crypto to go to $100. <laughs> I guess there's nothing nothing to go to $100 since crypto is not a money. So I only have three demands for crypto. Secure, quick, and easy to use. Everyone to use it and for it to take away power from those who abuse it. And what is it about the Bitcoin community? You know, the people of the Bitcoin community are kind of different. I think people in the Bitcoin community, you know, it's Bitcoin versus the man, like I've been saying. It's the battle of good versus evil. Bitcoin versus banking. Similar to homeschooling versus government schooling. I bet Bitcoin people are also homeschoolers to a large degree. I bet Bitcoin people are people that read the Internet for their news as opposed to watching um, the NBC Nightly News, for example. I bet people that are into Bitcoin are also into um, non-traditional diets, you know, low-carb or paleo diets versus the government's food pyramid diet. I bet people that are into Bitcoin are into crypto, like I mentioned, uh, versus into spying. I bet people in Bitcoin are into alternative medicine versus big pharma. Bitcoin community is a little bit different. I think Bitcoiners are into making decisions for yourself as opposed to having somebody else make your decision for you. I bet George Mason... If he were still alive, of course, if he were still alive, he'd be almost 300 years old. That'd be kind of old. But <laughs> George Mason were alive. I bet he'd use Bitcoin. You know, George Mason, one of the founding fathers of the United States of America, uh, from Virginia. He was at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, 1787. Then on September 17, 1787, when all the guys that were left at the convention. Most of them signed it. George Mason didn't. He didn't sign the Constitution. He thought there would be too much power in one single place. And he didn't like the fact that there was no Bill of Rights uh, originally in the Constitution. So he didn't sign it. What a principled man. I bet he'd be into Bitcoin today. I bet he'd be on the paleo diet. I bet he'd homeschool his kids be it alternative medicine. <laughs> George Mason, the first Bitcoiner. Well, in the news, Burger King announces that it will soon let you pay with, yes, Burger King will let you pay with, ye, pay your iPhone. I'm sorry to say that it's not Bitcoin that Burger King will let you pay with. No, Burger King will soon let you pay with your iPhone in its 7,000 United States locations. It'll be introduced next month. They'll have a Burger King app that you can use 
to pay for your fries. Similarly, Starbucks has an app out now for the iPhone. But I think basically, you know, what these things are is they're like um, uh, they're like gift cards. They're like uh, gift card apps. You load up your gift card. Your app can, you know, give the merchant the code that the gift card would have. And basically the merchant looks up the code on the big computer in the sky and deducts the amount of coffee from your account balance. All it takes is for one of those computers in the sky to come crashing down and everyone realizes Bitcoin is a better way of doing this. So that's, you know, that's part of my demands is I want everybody to use Bitcoin, Burger King included. And another small demand I have, not about Bitcoin, but about the world in general is I want it to be warmer. That's my demand. I want it to be warmer. (laughs) It's 23 degrees this morning. This is ridiculous. We've had one day this year that's been above 60 degrees. Uh, and of course, I enjoyed it last Saturday. Got outside wearing short pants, short sleeve shirt, walking around hitting the stupid white ball. Oh, man, it's been a long winter. You know, congratulations, Al Gore. Congratulations, I got to say. Whatever you did in your inconvenient truth to stop global warming has worked. I, I got to admit it. Great job. Congratulations, you have stopped global warming. But now we've gone the other way. We've gone into global cooling. And I'm just wondering if we need to do the opposite things now. We need to release more carbon dioxide into the air to get you know, this global cooling problem solved. I, I wouldn't mind, you know, if, it's, if it would be 60 degrees instead of 23 degrees. I wouldn't mind that a bit. And yeah, if it got up to 117 degrees a couple days in the summer, I can deal with that too. But burning all of this gas, you know, all winter long to keep our homes warm, that's just energy inefficient. If our planet was warmer, just what a great world it would be. Okay, enough of that nonsense. People may not agree with me on that. People want the Earth to be cooler. Go live in North Pole, people. <laughs> Can't we all just get along? Yeah, I guess I could move to the equator. There's not, you know, I looked at the globe. There's not really a whole lot of landmass right on the equator, actually. I guess there's Ecuador and some places out in, what, mm, Indonesia? I don't know. There really isn't a whole lot of land on the equator. Maybe that could be a project is to build a new continent right out in the Pacific Ocean, right on the equator. Start a new country, Bitcoinia, let's call it. But like I say, enough of that nonsense. Let's get on with something really good. Let's play a round of the world's favorite game, Guru Roulette. I've replaced the numbers on a roulette wheel with the names of Bitcoin gurus. I'll spin the wheel and roll the marble. And for the selected guru, give you a little background on their Bitcoin philosophy. So here we go. And the winner this time on Mad Machine episode number 13 is Bill Miller. Yeah, if you go out to Wikipedia and search for Bill Miller, do you realize how many guys come up? There's Bill Millers in United States government. There's Bill Millers, excuse me, Bill Millers in government elsewhere. There's actually Bill Millers musicians, Bill Millers in writing and publishing, Bill Millers in film and television. There's military Bill Millers, athletic Bill Millers goes on and on, scientist Bill Millers, religion Bill Millers, and then there's the other fields. And it's this other field that our Bill Miller comes from. It's Bill Miller Finance, former chairman and former chief investment officer of Leg Mason Capital Management and the Leg Mason Capital Management Value Trust Mutual Fund. Now, before I go on with current Bill Miller guru (laughs) roulette insights, let me take you back to Mad Money Machine, the original Mad Money Machine, episode number 36 because Bill Miller came up on the Guru Roulette Wheel back then as well. This is from August 2006.
Let's play a round of the world's favorite game, Guru Roulette. I've replaced the numbers on a roulette wheel with the names of investment gurus. I'll spin the wheel and roll the marble, and for the selected guru, give you a little background on their investment philosophy. So here we go. And the winner this time on the Madam Money Machine Show, number 36, Super Stock Spectacular, is Bill Miller. Bill Miller is the vaunted mutual fund manager of the Leg Mason Value Trust Mutual Fund. Why is he so vaunted? Because he has beaten the Standard & Poor's 500 index for 15 years in a row. It's earned him a book by Janet Lowe, available at Amazon.com, called The Man Who Beats the S&P, Investing with Bill Miller. Here's a little synopsis uh, I read from Amazon. Learn value investing through the strategies and techniques of investment portfolio manager of the decade. In the only value investing book focused on value investor Bill Miller, the manager of the $12 billion Leg Mason Value Trust, Janet Lowe examines the techniques that have earned Miller celebrity status among investors and his peers. By taking the classic concept of value investing and catapulting it into the 21st century, Bill Miller has become a role model for those who wish to learn how to recognize value in today's new and emerging markets. Readers will be introduced to Miller's belief that the value of any equity depends on the future, not on the past. This idea has made him one of the most well-regarded value investors in the mutual fund arena and the only manager of a diversified fund to beat the Standard & Poor's 500 for 10 years in a row. Well, first of all, what does that have to say about all the other mutual fund managers who have not beaten the Standard & Poor's Index 500 for 10 years in a row? And what does that say, therefore, in, in investing in the Standard & Poor's 500 Index? Hmm. In fact, I took a look at the Vanguard Total Stock Market Fund, VTSMX, and if you'd invested in that in 10 years, the expenses there would come to, if you, if you had 10000 for every $10,000 invested in that, after 10 years, you would spend $243. With the Leg Mason Value Trust Index, after 10 years, for the same amount of money, you'd spend $1,987 in expenses. That's for every $10,000, too. Well, not so fast, though. A couple of articles in Barron's and the Wall Street Journal last week. One in Barron's was entitled... Penthouse to the Outhouse. One in the Wall Street Journal was entitled Gauging Miller's Tale at Leg Mason. Chief of Value Trust Fund, Faber's Web and Housing avoids the energy sector. Mmm. Bill Miller of Leg Mason has a good claim of being the best U.S. mutual fund manager. His now 18 billion value trust has beaten S&P for 15 years in a row. Over the past year, however... The value trust is down more than 6%, placing it in the bottom 1% among the 1,600 mutual funds Morningstar ranks in its class. And how about this from the Index Fund's 12-Step Guide for Active Investors book, page 53. It says, another sobering observation comes from Bill Miller, portfolio manager of Leg Mason Value Trust, who outperformed the S&P for the 14th consecutive year in 2004, Miller is a philosophy major who has this to say about the irony of his record in a January 6, 2005 Wall Street Journal article entitled, Bill Miller Dishes on His Streak and His Strategy. He says, As for the so-called streak, it, that's an accident of the calendar. If the year ended on different months, it wouldn't be there, and at some point the mathematics will hit us. We've been lucky. Well, maybe it's not 100% luck, maybe 95% luck. Based on that comment, it might be a good idea to put a warning on the Leg Mason Value Trust prospectus, reminding investors that luck is not a reliable source of returns in the future. Maybe something along the lines of the health warning on a package of cigarettes. Health warning. Research has shown that over 10 years, about 95% of actively managed mutual funds underperformed low-cost and tax-efficient index funds. The additional fees you pay a manager to beat an index will almost certainly go up in smoke. Well, the year's not over yet. Last year he came pretty close and pulled it out at the end. He might do the same this year. Still, 
I wouldn't like my chances. Well, that's our guru on show 36, Superstock Spectacular, Bill Miller. Congratulations. All right, well, welcome back to the year 2014 now. And we're going to talk about Bill Miller eight years later, seven and a half years later. Bill Miller was on Bloomberg recently, and they asked him about Bitcoin. So now Bill Miller, the great mutual fund manager, is now a Bitcoin guru. And here's what he had to say. Bitcoin. I am surprised as well. Why does a value investor, a conservative guy like Bitcoin? Well, uh, to, to clarify, I, I own Bitcoin personally. I've been buying Bitcoin personally. Okay. Most of it since the Mt. Gox collapse. We don't own it in the fund, although when Bloomberg can get a quote on it and when it can be securely stored, it, it's, it's a possibility. There's a changing Bitcoin. We moved from a thousand, the hysteria and all that to this workout. Are you an value investor who sees now a new stability within the so-called currency that is Bitcoin? I, th I think Bitcoin, Bitcoin's an interesting intellectual and technological experiment. And so I think in, investing in Bitcoin or maybe buying Bitcoin is like is like making a venture bet in the sense of you don't know what's really going to happen. Right. But what but the potential, the, the potential return is is, is huge. I mean, the, the amount of gold in the world is about eight trillion dollars and the value of all the Bitcoin is about seven billion dollars. So if it reached one, you know, one tenth the value of gold, right. it's 100 times your money. The, uh, there's a wide agreement. There's an efficiency to Bitcoin and there's a discussion about criminal activity. What about the theoretical underpinnings that allow Bitcoin to be a source of stability? Well, you know, money money has three functions, a unit of, unit of account, store value, and medium of exchange. And I think that Bitcoin has the potential to fulfill all of those. People have complained correctly about its volatility, especially recently. But, of course, gold was $35 an ounce, and it was $800 an ounce, and then it was $2,000 an ounce, and now it's $1,200 an ounce or 1300 So it's been volatile, too. Currencies are volatile. So I, I think it has, it, has, it has the potential. Does it need government supervision? Does it need a regulatory scheme around Bitcoin? I... I uh, I think it does. It, because of its potential functions, the regulators are going to be involved in it one way right. or the other. You went to a wonderful school, Washington and Lee University. Do you perceive someday you're going to be able to pay tuition to Washington and Lee in Bitcoin? Uh, you could, I don't think you can do it today, but there's no reason you couldn't do it in a week or two if they set it up that way. I mean, people, you, you, can, you can buy stuff on Overstock.com with Bitcoin right now. Interesting enough, you can't buy much with gold, but you can with Yeah, Bitcoin. but even if we're at a stability bill of $600 plus or minus, isn't that volatility every day too much to really be able to do a retail transaction? No, because what happens is when you do a Bitcoin transaction with retail, they immediately convert it right back to dollars. So they're not holding Bitcoin in inventory and taking the risk. And you're not taking risk either okay. because you're, you're doing it instantaneously. You know, I've seen Tom Keene of Bloomberg interview people about Bitcoin over and over, and he always harps on this volatility thing, and he never seems to get it. He just doesn't. It just doesn't go into his cranium. Maybe if he loosened that bow tie around his neck, he'd let a little bit more blood flow into the top of his head and understand what's going on here. But uh, so Bill Miller gets it, I think. Bill Miller, the guy that beat the S&P. I think one of the interesting phrases Bill Miller said there was, you know, gold's an $8 trillion market and Bitcoin's a $7 billion market. So if, if Bitcoin is one-tenth the size of gold, then you'd multiply your money by a hundredfold. Well, if Bitcoin was a thousand times the amount of gold, then you'd make a whole lot more money, you know, too. All these if statements are just crazy. How about laying out the foundation for why you think Bitcoin should be one-tenth the amount of gold? You know, I mean, you had plenty of time, I think, in this interview segment to at least mention why you think Bitcoin could be a tenth of the amount of gold. I mean, we all do here in the Bitcoin community. For example, like I said, if it's easy to use and everybody starts using it, then the demand for it will go up and it could be quite, you know, valuable. But you didn't. So we'll never know. But if you believe the guy that beat the S&P 15 times in a row... 15 years in a row, then maybe you should get out there and buy some Bitcoin just like he does. Congratulations. Once again, Bill Miller, you're the guru on the Mad Money Machine, episode 13. What else is in the news? Oh yeah, Mt. Gox says they found 200,000 Bitcoins. Uh-huh. 
I hope they find the rest of them. That's what's important. And then I hope they shut the place down. I hope people get their bitcoins out, they get their dollars out, and then people learn to avoid putting their money into trusted third parties, such as Mt. Gox. Distributed exchanges are starting to creep up. I think MasterCoin has gone live now. Counterparty.co is in the process of going live. You know, if you want to find out more about the new Bitcoin 2.0 cryptocurrencies, distributed ledgers, the uh, MasterCoins and counterparties and Ethereums, uh, you need to go out to a website called... Of Numbers, O-F-N-U-M-B-E-R-S. He's written a couple of books. One is The Great Wall of Numbers, something to do with China. Never read it, don't know anything about it. (laughs) And then the one I'm interested in is the guide, The Great Chain of Numbers. Apparently it's a free guide. Give you an idea of the chapters, uh, introduction, Smart Contracts, Chapter 2, Next Generation Platforms is Chapter 3. Smart Property is Chapter 4. How Smart Contracts Could Work, Chapter 5. Fundraising Landscape, Chapter 6. How to Get Involved with the Crypto Ecosystem. Jack of All Trades, question mark, and then Conclusions. Tim Swanson is the author of this book, 2014. One of the things that I read in there is that, um, yeah, you can do smart contracts for certain limited things, but the contracting world, the, the actual legal system that we've grown up for a couple thousand years in this great civilization of ours has so many nuances to it that his point is we may actually even still need trusted third parties to enforce these smart contracts. I encourage you to read the book and make up your mind for yourself. Uh, Go particularly to the early chapters there that talks about this, the smart contracts. Good references in there to some of the early crypto anarchists and what they think about converting the world to crypto. Which brings us to this week's Madman Machine Tool of the Week. Well, I've been reading from Satoshi's paper. We've been studying his... uh, breakthrough paper that described Bitcoin from the beginning. But there's plenty of work that Satoshi is standing upon the shoulders of giants with. I had previously talked about Adam Fack's Hashcash. And we had talked about uh, Wei Dai or Wee Day. Wei Dai, Wee Day. Who's the first uh, footnote in Satoshi's paper. In his paper, Be Money. Well, that brings us to this week's tool of the week, and that is nakamotoinstitute.org. Nakamotoinstitute.org is a website that says it's eager to share with the world the best ideas, past, present, and future in cryptography, distributed networks, economic freedom, and freedom of information. We are dedicated to curating the best primary source literature that challenge the status quo through technological innovation. And I know that the founder, Michael Goldstein, the president, has been interviewed uh, earlier on Let's Talk Bitcoin. These guys come from the Mises Circle at the University of Texas at Austin. Daniel Kravitz and uh, Pierre Rochard, working with uh, Michael Goldstein, founded the Satoshi Nokomoto Institute, SNI, in November of 2013. And they've reorganized the webpage recently. Now they've broken it down between the uh, Complete Satoshi section and other literature. When you click on the Complete Satoshi section, you can get a link to his original paper, which we're going through in a minute, a link to all of his emails, and a link to his forum posts. And they'll also have, soon, uh, some of the code that he wrote, the early code. Then when you click on the Literature tab, we get to all these great Crypto anarchists. Adam Bax Hashcash is in there, sure. A link to that. Timothy May, we'd mentioned. Nick Zabo. Several papers from him. David Schaum. Whitfield Diffie and Martin Hellman. And a link to some economists' views about money itself. Ludwig von Mises. Holzman. Soto. Hayek. Kinsella. Levine. 
and even a link to John Milton's paper from 1644 itself. I think it's great to curate the ideas that went into forming Bitcoin. And the NakamotoInstitute.org is our Mad Men Machine Tool of the Week. And like the best things in life, it's free. The best things in life are free. You can keep it for the birds and bees. Knock him out You're listening to Paul Boyer's Mad Money Machine. Let's take a call now from the Mad Men Machine voicemail line at 571-366-7121. Paul, it's Scott Minton in beautiful Oklahoma. I'm explicitly disobeying your words because I'm not listening live. I'm listening on a podcast at 8.30 on March 19th. Loving the show. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. I'm every day in my community. Appreciate it. Call the Mad Money Machine voicemail line at 571-366-7121. Ron Paul was on Fox News recently. He's not exactly the best salesman for Bitcoin. I want to get a quick comment from you on Bitcoin. It is trading near $612 right now. It is down slightly on the Fed announcement. What do, I mean, what do you think? How does this inform the future of the digital currency? Can we talk about money and not mention Bitcoin? Well, no, if you, you want to, but if you're going to talk to me and have me fully explain exactly how it works, I don't know that. I know I have a political position that uh, it should be permissible. The Fed shouldn't regulate it, and people should look into it and hopefully understand it, and hopefully it will give the dollar a competition. But when it comes to understanding and comparing it to the reality of a, a, a commodity currency, you know, it, it's, a, it's a stretch. So I have a little problem with that, but, uh, you know, it was 1200 at one time. Does too, it so look it does more go. attractive given what the Fed is doing? I mean, if you feel like the Fed is a bit out of control in their policy and how they're handling money, do you think it pushes more people to look for something like Bitcoin? See, since I'm not very attracted to the, the Bitcoin, for me, if uh, monetary policy continues to be out of control and we have crisis, then I look more for gold. Okay. But I've been, do I've been doing that since it was $35 an ounce. So uh, it's been a long time since the Fed has done what it has done and destroyed the value of the dollar to the tune of uh, taking it from $35 an ounce or at least, a matter of fact, $20 an ounce up to $1,500, $1,600. So he says he doesn't understand Bitcoin. Ron Paul, have you not been listening to the Mad Money Machine where we've been going through Satoshi Nakamoto's paper? It's not all that difficult to understand, really. In fact, let's go through the next section. Section 5, Network. Satoshi's Corner. Okay, we're making our way through Satoshi's classic paper, Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. And if you're just joining us, the paper has 12 short sections to it. The first section we covered was introduction, which basically makes the case for a trustless system using cryptography. Section two talks about the transactions and defines a digital coin and how those coin values can be transferred from one person to another using digital signatures. Section three talks about the need for a timestamp server and how you can create a hash of the data and publish that hash at a certain time. Section four we talked about last week was the proof of work. Basically, when you publish all of these transactions in the ledger, Proof of work makes it such that you cannot go back and change the data in that ledger. It just takes too much work to change all of that data because all of these hash values are linked together. And creating those hash values takes a lot of work. Now we come to Section 5, Network. And in Section 5, Satoshi says, The steps to run the network are as follows. And there are six steps. Six short steps. One. New transactions are broadcast to all nodes. 
2. Each node collects new transactions into a block. 3. Each node works on finding a difficult proof of work for its block, like we talked about last week. 4. When a node finds a proof of work, it broadcasts the block to all nodes. 5. Nodes accept the block only if all transactions in it are valid and not already spent. And then 6. Nodes express their acceptance of the block by working on creating the next block in the chain, using the hash of the accepted block as the previous hash. So those are the six steps. The section continues. Nodes always consider the longest chain to be the correct one and will keep working on extending it. If two nodes broadcast different versions of the next block simultaneously, some nodes may receive one or the other first. In that case, they work on the first one they received, but save the other branch in case it becomes longer. The tie will be broken when the next proof of work is found and one branch becomes longer. The nodes that were working on the other branch will then switch to the longer one. And just a couple more sentences in this section then. Satoshi writes, New transaction broadcasts do not necessarily reach all nodes. As long as they reach many nodes, they will get into a block before long. Block broadcasts are also tolerant of dropped messages. If a node does not receive a block, it will request it when it receives the next block and realizes it missed one. So this section basically lays out the protocol, the interplay between people acting on the network or the nodes, and how transactions get broadcast to everybody. Everybody receives transactions all the time. They try to gather them up into a block and then compute a hash upon that block. If they successfully find the hash, they broadcast that block back out to all the other nodes. Those nodes take that block then, validate that it's true, and then begin working on the next block of the new transactions that are coming in. It's a beautiful system. But there are some shortcomings to the way it's been implemented. That is, that the proof-of-work system based upon SHA-256 is growing so exponentially difficult that it's hard for me, or you, or the average schmo to mine bitcoins and really participate in trying to find uh, the try to do the proof of work. So that becomes more and more specialized, which is exactly opposite of what we wanted in Bitcoin Network. We wanted this to be distributed widely. And I think I did read recently where the number of full nodes on the Bitcoin Network has actually decreased uh, recently. And that's not a good thing. We want it to increase. And that's why we have some altcoins that are uh, using other types of proof of work algorithms that discourage the centralization of the proof-of-work system. Well, you can be a node on the network and not necessarily be a miner also. You know, download, go out to bitcoin.org and download the latest Bitcoin client wallet, 0.9.0, and uh, allow it to download and synchronize the all the blockchain and then just let it run. Let it run on a computer that you have connected 24-7 on the network so that it can uh, be a node on the network to help other nodes find the transactions and pass them along and pass along the blocks. And, of course, make sure to open port 8333 on your router so that you can be a productive node on the network. Well, that's Section 5 of Satoshi's paper. Only seven to go. Let's take a minute to look at the market for millibits. I'm looking at it bitcoinity.org slash markets. I've clicked on the Bitstamp tab there. And it tells me that over the past seven days, the highest price someone was willing to pay for a millibit was 63 cents. And the lowest price someone was willing to sell a millibit for was 54 cents. We're currently hovering at around 56 cents. The trend is down. There's a noticeable trend going down in the price of millibits. The um, total millibits in circulation, 12.11 billion. And you know what's funny? That number's down over the past week. Last week I reported that number to be 12.46 billion. And now blockchain is telling me that there's only 12.11 billion. Interesting. They took 300 and 
50 million bitcoins out of circulation. Really? What is going on there? That is weird. Which brings us to a market cap of $6.77 billion. The reward per block, just about $14,000 at this price. Uh, blockchain's not reporting me the number of transaction fees per block at the moment. And the hash rate is up over 4 billion giga hashes per second. That's your Madman Machine Millibit Market Minute. I'm Ashley Dvorkin, and this is Fox on Reddit. What is this thing I've come across here? Fox on Reddit, the foxnews.com network, has a video program where they look at articles from reddit.com, which is, I guess I can't blame them because that's kind of what I do. But let's hear what they got to say. I'm Ashley Dvorkin, and this is Fox on Reddit. Today, we're taking a look at a community thriving on Reddit, those who deal in the digital currency of Dogecoin. In fact, come to think about it, I'm doing even worse than what they're doing. I'm reporting on a show that's reporting on Reddit. There are more than 50 subreddits dedicated to Dogecoin, where many have posted and contributed to charitable causes, like raising more than $30,000 to help send the Jamaican bobsled team to the Olympics. Oh, I know all we need next is we need somebody else's podcast to play my podcast, which plays their show, which talks about Reddit. <laughs> Joining us now to give us the basics and also talk about how Redditors have helped this cryptocurrency grow to a new level is Ben Dernberg, uh, Dornberg of Do Dogecoin Foundation. Welcome. Okay, let's start with those basics. And like, what is Dogecoin? Just break it down for us. Sure. So Dogecoin is a digital currency, an internet currency. It's very similar to Bitcoin. It's based on the same technology as Bitcoin, but it was founded as sort of a lighthearted take. You know, people looked at it and they said, this technology is really awesome, but it can be very intimidating. So a guy named Billy Marcus from Portland and someone named Jackson Palmer from Australia worked together and they released this coin to the world and just said, hey, we made a, a, a currency based on this cute picture of a dog. And it just took off from there. And has it surprised you because it started like that, how far it's grown? How large is the uh, Dogecoin community right now? So I think there are over 100,000 people who are using it. The Dogecoin subreddit is almost at 70,000 people now. Uh, it's been amazing to watch, but I think the fact that it started as a lighthearted, welcoming community has been what's made it so successful. And how has Reddit helped it grow to that level? You know, what do people do? How do they kind of, I know there's a tipping process they can give to each other, so break that down as well. Reddit is really the core of the Dogecoin community. And so there's a service called the Doge Tipbot, and what that means is that if you say something funny or you make a cool photo and I want to say, hey, nice job, let me tip you 10 cents or a thousand Dogecoin, whatever, I can just send it to you and half a second later it'll be in your account. And that's something that hasn't been possible before. So we've basically turned upvotes into digital, digital cash. And let's talk about the Olympics. So how did that happen? How did people help raise money and send uh, several athletes to the Olympics? That's a great example of how this is so community-driven. So people on the subreddit were basically demanding, they said, look, the Jamaican bobsled team needs money to get to the Olympics. I read about it in the paper, and we should do this. And people just kicked in money. Within, I think, about 24 hours, we had $30,000. And the Jamaican bobsled team was just kind of like, what is Dogecoin? And then the difference between Bitcoin and Dogecoin, which some people are familiar with Bitcoin, and also, you know, it had some issues of recent uh, with Mt. Gox. So tell me, if, has that affected you? Will it affect you? You know, does it sort of get everyone in Dogecoin, you know, looking into this process overall? So Dogecoin is a descendant of Bitcoin. It uses the same basic technology. It's the transactions are a little bit faster, and there are a few uh, technical differences. But for the most part, we're just, in my opinion, kind of a more fun, friendly version of Bitcoin. Okay. And it's you know we're earlier in the process, so people who missed out uh, on you know Bitcoin can sort of get into Dogecoin. And you know I think increasingly Dogecoin is starting to have its own exchanges, so you can now. Unlike most digital currencies, you can buy Dogecoin directly with dollars uh, like you can with Bitcoin. So I think increasingly we're going to see Dogecoin becoming its own entity without uh, being so based on Bitcoin. Okay, so that was my, my next question. Where do you see all this going when you see the future of Dogecoin? It sort of started very lighthearted and it's gotten very big. Um, and the future of just cryptocurrency in general. 
So I, I really believe that these digital currencies are the wave of the future. The same way that email took a little bit to replace paper mail, but now it, you know it's hard for me to even remember when I would send a letter. Uh, I think it's going to be the same thing with digital currencies. And so you know I really like the community spirit, the focus on giving back, on charity that Dogecoin has. And so I hope that if one of these digital currencies you know really ends up taking off as the day-to-day cash, that it's Dogecoin. Will people buy houses with Dogecoin in general? I think probably that's more Bitcoin's job. But if you want to buy a song or you want to send someone, you know, your cousin 20 bucks, I think Dogecoin is going to be the way to do that. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Ben Dornberg of Dogecoin Foundation. And of course, for more, check out Reddit. And we'll continue to keep you posted with the latest from Reddit overall right here with Fox on Reddit on foxnews.com. So Dogecoin is a copy of Bitcoin. And I guess Mad Money Machine is a copy of Fox on Reddit. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We love Reddit. All Reddit needs is its own video production team, and then we won't even need Fox News. Or Mad Money Machine, for that matter. Well, if that's the way you feel about it, then there's only a couple more minutes left anyway, so suffer through till the end. Uh, Here's an email I got from uh, Richard Hoyer. He's from Billings, Montana, loves the show. He says uh, he's found a cool Bitcoin game the other day that he can't wait to play. They've got a campaign on Indiegogo for funding, but it doesn't look like it's going well. I guess people don't know about it, so can I talk about it? And that is bitrunner.io. Bitrunner.io. I've read a little bit about it. It looks pretty interesting. It's not a. It's not uh, purely a geocaching game, but it's the kind of game where you use your phone and you go around and you collect up Bitcoin fragments, it looks like. And a lot more than that. It's really interesting. Go take a look at bitrunner.io. I get a lot of people tweeting me, say, uh, make the altcoin of the week uh, mint. Mint coin. Sounds tasty. Peter Kiashian uh, writes me, says, love the show. I know sometimes you have different clips of prominent individuals talking about Bitcoin. Yeah, like we did with Bill Miller and Ron Paul. Uh, He says there was a Google Talk interview where they asked Hank Paulson should they put all their savings in Bitcoin? I'll have a link to that YouTube video in the show notes. You need to skip forward to about 48 and a half minutes or so to to get his response. Let me just uh, spoil it for you. He says he doesn't know much about it. Got an email from Cyril Hurry. He says he likes the show. Uh, he says, I want to give you a quick intro to the service they've recently launched in case you find it interesting for my listeners. Its name is Brawker, B-R-A-W-K-E-R. It's a kind of decentralized exchange involving physical goods as the middleman. I'll have a link to his video there. To summarize what it does, people who have millibits can buy whatever they want with them by creating a wish list on Amazon or anywhere else. People who want to buy millibits can do so by buying someone else's order with their credit card or PayPal account and then getting the millibits in exchange. He says, what I find most interesting about this approach is that it's an exchange that can be stopped by the bankers. I I think he means can't be stopped by the bankers. In order to stop it, they would have to prevent people from buying stuff with a credit card, which is clearly not going to happen. Well, thanks, Cyril. And I want to thank you, the listener, for taking your time out of your day or your commute to listen to the Mad Money Machine. It's a great privilege of mine to be able to do this show for you each week. Every Tuesday, I'll see you. See you every Tuesday. And until next Tuesday, this is Paul Boyer saying it takes money to make money and it takes millibits to make a Mad Money Machine. I encourage you to go out to letstalkbitcoin.com and check out all the other great shows that are coming out there. And there's even more coming within the next month. And then go to LTB Coin, read every single article on there, and figure out what's going on with this new altcoin with the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast network. It's going to be kind of a cool little token system. It's the Let's Talk Bitcoin massively multiplayer online Bitcoin game. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'll see you next Tuesday. And in the meantime, buy some Bitcoin. They're pretty cheap now. Spend some Bitcoin, donate some Bitcoin, and then replenish your Bitcoin. Thanks a lot, everybody. We'll see you next Tuesday.